Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Marsha Stepanek. She is a journalist and a new media strategist. She's an award-winning news and features editor, videographer, and author of the upcoming book, Swarms, The Rise of Digital Anti-Establishment. She's also a professor at NYU. Uh, Marcia, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So give us, if you would, first a little background on um, what led you to NYU and your work in journalism. I have been covering the intersection of technology and uh, its impact on society and business for pretty much the past 25 years. Uh, did a, a new media fellowship at Stanford, went out there all primed uh, from Hearst Media in Washington to cover the shrinking middle class in America and the uh, increasing division between the haves and have-nots. And uh, instead, what uh, I did when I got out to Silicon Valley was everyone said, are you crazy? (laughs) We are in the middle of Silicon Valley and there's a revolution happening here. And certainly there was, at the time I was out there, the rise of e-commerce, the rise of everything. So I switched my my entire curriculum to study uh, the impact of uh, communications and new media technology on the law, on business, on, on um, technology itself, uh, and on the way people uh, advocate for social change. Even back then, uh, we saw the uh, center of power moving from the center of establishment organizations to outside the organizations. And the evolution of and the implications of that have been happening, as you well know, for over a decade and continue. So you, you made this shift from class warfare to digital revolutions. <laughs> and, and often they're, they're one and the same. And, and, and now you've got this book coming out um, about digital swarms, mm-hmm. which talks about sort of digital swarms becoming ever more powerful, more sophisticated. I think it's more about how networks, communities uh, have been evolving and scaling and kind of creating as they mature, uh, a more sophisticated uh, and permanent presence. We're seeing a lot of um, uh, people organizing into networks, certainly uh, politically around interest groups, certainly uh, in more of these informal communities around uh, communities of political interest. And in many ways, we have seen them start to um, kind of exercise their muscle. I'm not talking so much about the Arab Spring. I'm not talking about all of that. I'm talking now about uh, their ability to organize very rapidly 
um, as accountability networks. Um, for example, uh, the Komen Foundation, a foundation that was dedicated to fighting breast cancer, um, had uh, a couple of years ago made some controversial decisions and did not communicate it uh, very transparently or openly with so many of its supporters on both sides of the fence of some of the issues it was grappling with. And in fact, uh, started trying to dissuade people when they found out about some of the decisions that were being made from commenting. And so this kind of kicked up an angry swarm among supporters who over the course of three days not only uh, were able to hold some of the leaders of the Common Foundation accountable for those decisions, but um, uh, wouldn't stop uh, organizing around this until some of the leadership had been changed. Uh, we've seen this repeatedly. We've seen this when people get angry at Rush Limbaugh or get angry at, uh, <laughs> at any number of uh, incidents. We, we saw this with the Stop SEPA campaign. Um, we can see communities organize very quickly uh, to achieve something, a singular goal, very rapidly and very clearly, and all in the course uh, consistently of a week or less. Um, so these aren't these aren't accidents. Uh, these are the, these basically show that these networks have matured, that uh, they're pretty consistent. They don't organize overnight, uh, and they don't always express themselves, but when they have a reason to do so, they can. And so um, uh, that's what a swarm is, and we're going to see more of that. Um, and it's about the not so much the toppling of establishment organizations, but kind of like sand against limestone, kind of the corrosion, uh, uncomfortable reshaping of the status quo. So now you've been looking at this space for a long time and you have some perspective here. Let me give you a sort of my take, my uninformed take compared to yours of, of, of what I see uh, you know, with these digital swarms. To me, it seems like they lack stamina because you, know, you see people organize around these flashpoints, around these wedge issues, around these you know, issues that they're emotionally invested in. But then when it comes to the dredging work of, you know, something like policymaking, you know, they seem to dissipate. And I'm thinking about like, uh, you know, Egypt, for example. You know, when it came to organizing to overthrow the Mubarak regime, you know, everybody, you know, had, had, had their hand in that. But then when it came to sort of the hard work of organizing behind parties and, changing, um, you know, the, the uh, political landscape, it didn't seem like people really had the stamina for that. And I also think about, like, the type of responses I get from my social networks to issues that are serious. Like, you know, I'll, I'll post once in a while about an issue like uh, climate change or um, net neutrality. And honestly, you know, it doesn't seem like people have a lot of patience for that type of stuff until, unless it's really at some sort of a flashpoint. So is that your perception? Am I missing something? Yeah, I, I don't think it's – certainly it was – I don't think it's about stamina. I, I think these are permanent accountability networks. But I do think that, yes, if it gets to a flashpoint, um, you're going to be there and I'm going to be there 
And in a lot of cases, I'm not just going to be online. I'm going to be out in the street as well. Uh, you know, we saw this again with Stop SOPA. We've seen it on small-scale uh, actions. We've seen it in neighborhood organizing. And we, we've also seen it kind of evolving out of kind of so much of the crisis. Um, you know, we, we look at organized neighborhood groups like IOB and, and other things that are basically organizing themselves as per, permanent accountability networks around a very singular goal, uh, in IOB's case, to build uh, park space out of urban blight in Brooklyn. Uh, and it's doing that, uh, I think, cases like that represent the, the uh, transformation of some of these flash-in-the-pan anger groups or permanent um, uh, organizations, and most of this works very well on a local scale. Um, there's always been the uh, challenge of moving people from online to offline action. And there's always been the challenge of kind of the, uh, for lack of a better term, in the nonprofit sector, the click and transforming people from click and givers uh, to actually rolling up their sleeves and, and attending the, the, the walk, <laughs> attending the fundraising dinners and so on and so forth. But I think so much of this is still in transition from getting people uh, and more inclusive voices uh, to be organized and to see that they can have a say, uh, and then strategically figuring out how to how to not only keep people engaged, but how to keep them engaged across multiple platforms, including you know face to face engagement. So we're seeing some groups doing this better than others. Uh, chiefly. Uh, impressive in this area and I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about a lot of uh, feminists with the with the small f networks uh, we're seeing a lot of women organizing online uh, uh, in very effective ways and in ways that um, create offline engagements as well uh, we're also seeing it in the, in the neighborhood as I just mentioned with IOBI, and we're also seeing it in certain pockets of uh, students working for long-term change around education reform. Uh, so there are some areas that are doing it well and some areas that are doing it not so well um, to the extent that there is no such thing as viral anything, uh, that it's more of a strategic engagement um, I think the leaders and some of the leaders of some the top influencers in some of these networks are getting wise to how best to lead some of these new uh, organizations and uh, and uh, social networks that can become swarms when the issue is right and when the cat catalyst around it is right. It's you a new leadership. We see uh, elected officials, politicians. Um, working to build their digital networks, um, which would see, say that they see the value of it. Uh, but I've been told by you know policy wonks that elected officials discount um, the the digital storm or swarm rather um, when compared to you know the calls and the letters. Is that true, or are those just basically placid bureaucrats talking that no, the storm coming? 
No, I think the game is, uh, you know, it's all about listening. I mean, you know, the uh, Mubarak, uh, you know, became a verb. Don't get Mubarak, you know, the sense of the politician kind of discounting uh, the power uh, and discounting um, and not even listening, uh, <laughs> not even uh, listening to some of the networks. And, of course, so much of um, social media is about, uh, listening and uh, being wise to kind of the conversations and the pulse of what's what's happening. Of course, setting up lots of monitoring systems, lots of uh, tracking and metric systems to be able to do this, certainly, but um, uh, not just works exist and that they're maturing and that they're evolving and uh, will be wise in many cases to exploit uh, what's not being heard. When you look at this space and you turn back the clock to you know when you started as a uh, as a as a fellow at uh, at Stanford and you made this shift from uh, you know division of class to digital revolution, started looking at the impact on the law and and um, this idea of of digital swarms, what surprises you most where we are today? Uh, that. Uh, people still tend to underestimate in the short term uh, the power of the change and in the in the short term and totally underestimate the power of it in the long term and I think that's always been the case with technology better systems uh, are woefully behind um, technological advances and our ability to um, uh, uh, kind of deal with or understand or connect with uh, technology um, as fast as it's occurring and our systems to catch up with it. I think what's, what's interesting here is that this isn't about our systems being able to keep up with it, but power, again, moving outside of the organization to create alternatives um, uh, and also to create new ways of doing things. And we're not always talking about, you know, revolution with a capital R. We're not always talking about marches in the streets. We're not talking about Occupy in the Arab Spring so much. Those were the early kind of uh, muscle flexing going on around this. But now we're seeing uh, these kind of, uh, this kind of chafing happening you know, uh, in a small company, in a small nonprofit, in you know, in the donor space, in in kind of the startup space, it's now pretty much uh, creating swarms around how you raise money, how you keep money, how you organize people, how you how you deal with customers, how you deal with uh, donors, how you make change in ways big and small. So it's about learning how to be strategic with these tools. Uh, against certain measurable goals and and knowing where you're at. And at NYU, um, I co-teach with Howard Greenstein and Tom Watson, one of the first classes in the country around social media strategy. Not only, you know, just kind of, this isn't about setting, this is about uh, creating the kind of engagement and support for, for long-term change, uh, as well as um, kind of being the, tail that wags the dog on organizations so that uh, you have transparency within organizational settings. So you're kind of revamping uh, 
so much of what are establishment organizations to be more porous organizations. You know, the Internet has disintermediated pretty much everything in its past, and we still have various forms of the middleman, whether it's a nonprofit organization or uh, still many small businesses. And uh, because of uh, some of the power of these social networks as they mature specifically, we're seeing a lot of these middlemen organizations having to reinvent what they do and who they're doing it for and kind of their missions so that, for example, in a nonprofit organization, obviously it's not so much about them taking money and being trusted to distribute it, but pretty much having to be organizations now that support organizations who are trying to make change. And for many organizations, uh, you know, this is a very difficult prospect kind of uh, rewrite their mission because there is this technology out there that says people don't need a lot of these organizations in the way they used to. So when you look at um, the broad business landscape and you see how um, these networks, how digital media and social media and digital swarms are, are forcing business models to reinvent themselves, are there any sort of common steps you see organizations taking that get it right and adapt to this new environment? I think uh, there are some best practices in sectors of, of how to go. Um, I think, again, it's about, uh, you know, we're still seeing, for example, in, in business, uh, you know, you've got ad agencies with, with uh who are the middlemen, <laughs> and you're, you're trying to create communities of customers to uh, basically uh, be able to have experiences that invite businesses in to be more like the waiter at the party serving drinks rather than dictating who gets in and who gets out. So many businesses still uh, are not listening and are not uh, being part of the consumer experience or the donor experience or, uh, you know, kind of supporting uh, where the customers are, where the donors are, but are still trying to control uh, the conversation. And I think to the extent that, uh, uh, again, they're not listening and, again, they're not hearing uh, and not, not putting the money into hearing uh, what the customer wants and and their whims, uh, given the acceleration um, that these tools lend to consumers and donors and people on the outside, um, you know it's still a huge challenge for people uh, to to kind of get a handle on this stuff. And it's still a relatively new technology. I mean, I think we're still in the in the beginnings of how all of this is is going to affect. Uh, uh, and reinvent so many business models and so many mission statements. So when you talk about listening, you're talking about some sort of big data analytics exercise? Yeah, not so much psychographics, which has been the art of advertising since day one, <laughs> but, but more um, uh, uh, seeing that um, a business is not so much about trying to convince people that they have a need to buy something, but being more in the listening of 
people as they live their daily lives and and getting the data down to such a fine level that uh, it's it's filling a need that's already been stated or or that has already been demonstrated rather than trying to um, to be more responsive rather than to be persuasive that's the big change uh, so when, so when you look basically. at you know the business landscape you see businesses in all sectors some who are engaged and have adopted technology, uh, social media outside of just marketing and PR, but actually looking at how, it, how digital networks change their business models. And then you have competitors in the same sectors who are disengaged. You know, you could go to one company and say, hey, big data, now's the time, let's start listening. And they would say, let's start, let's go. And then you would go to another company I mean, in this day and age, and say the same thing, and they'd say, huh, what's that? Why do we have to do it? So Mm -hmm. what is it that distinguishes the company that gets it from the company that doesn't get it, from the company that's ready to listen to the company that's not ready to listen? What are some of the criteria by which you could categorize organizations into these two buckets? Well, I think there's like five generations, four or five generations that are in the marketplace today. And I think the the ones that don't get it are still kind of in business uh, because they can still rely on the habits and what what older generations have come to expect of them. Um, But I think increasingly as younger consumers, particularly those born digital, gain earning power in the marketplace and have increasing say over, uh, you know, what's relevant and what isn't. <laughs> but that's only in a competitive market. I mean, what's going to happen if Time Warner winds up becoming, you know, the only case, the only way to get on the Internet in most markets then, you know, they, they couldn't they just do what they want and be disengaged if they right. wanted? Or you think about like an airlines that only serves well, certain markets, a healthcare company. organization. I'm thinking about any company needing to be relevant and urgent, and and uh, to to uh, whatever demographics they're trying to sell, and uh, you know to the extent that these tools can be used to convey that most effectively, the the messages that are being conveyed are are the ones that are going to be the most effective are going to be uh, by and for the people who are the consumers rather than to be pushed out by people who are what they ought to be doing and what they ought to be buying. It's going to be, I think, so much of this has to be citizen produced and or at least uh, very sensitive and on target to the very personalized needs and wants of uh, uh, that segment of the marketplace that companies are trying to crack. You know, whether you're an airline or whether you're any number of other companies, you still have to be listening to and be sensitive to uh, what consumers want. You always have had to be. Um, but I think a lot of companies are still befuddled by the power of these tools and totally underestimate the fact that people talk to each other rather than get most of their information from, from the institutions or the companies themselves. Marcia, you publish a blog called Global Cause. I'm sorry, Cause Global. Mm-hmm. It's an award-winning blog on the use of social media in social innovation. And, and I know that your focus uh, with the book, Digital Swarms, is largely on how nonprofits can use these digital swarms 
tap into them to further their cause. So can you talk a little bit about what differentiates how a nonprofit or an NGO would take advantage of these kinds of uh, digital opportunities or tap into the digital anti-establishment to um, arrive at some sort of change? Well, you know, we're seeing it in so many in so many levels, uh, communications, fundraising, distribution of aid and services. Uh, it's, you know, mobile technology, uh, social media has made a huge difference in, in you know, whether we're talking about uh, uh, engaging uh, communities of need in Africa or South America uh, to uh, to help be part of the solution uh, or whether we're talking about, you know, new ways of communicating just what the mission is, the big so what of some, so many of these causes that, that frankly, a lot of causes haven't even revisited lately uh, to even the most simple things with regard to, you know, do they have a responsive web website? so that they can tap into or even be part of the conversation of people who use mobile to to for most of their communication. So um, on many levels, it's both a challenge of communication, it's a challenge of distribution, and it's a challenge of uh, engaging uh, and supporting people who are uh, walking the talk and, and have measurable change in the community. So, you know, when you look at a big NGO like UNICEF, for example, you're looking at how mobile technology is uh, getting out into the field to um, create actual measurable results, to uh, in- include people in villages to be able to take their own blood tests, to, to provide training to people on digital devices, how to you know, when you look at things like M-Pesa in Kenya, for example, the mobile bank, you're you're looking at a whole new generation of social that can now finally run their business and finally get paid directly and finally, you know, not have to be at the end of the line of a lot of people holding their hands out to get the money that's coming in. Um, you know, you're talking in many cases about battling corruption with with business models that are born of that kind of technology. You're also looking at, uh, you know, just uh, uh, video as uh, as short-form video being made in-house as a new form of, of uh, literacy uh, to have conversations, not not to spend $40,000 to tell everybody how great you are, but to have daily conversations, uh, uh, showing people, not telling people what to think, but showing people uh, what you've done and proving it. Um, you know, it's just kind of uh, uh, on, on all levels, changing the way people uh, raise money, distribute aid, and uh, compete for death. So tell us about the book. When does it come out? So the book will uh, come out uh, early next year. Uh, uh, it, the germ of the idea uh, happened way before the Arab Spring <laughs> and was almost complete and then the Arab Spring happened and then it was uh, Coney 2012 and then it was a whole bunch of things and then it became clear that, uh, you know, 
to to learn about uh, social flow analysis and to to look at uh, some of the work doing uh, that's being done to analyze uh, how things go viral to behavioral analysis to talking to uh, scientists uh, uh, who are communication scientists in Silicon Valley to you know activists uh, behind much of what did happen in Egypt and uh, uh, interviews with people from all over the world on just kind of the state of the art of of um, movement and political organizing online. Uh, it's been a fascinating journey, and uh, it's clear that it's you know still a rapidly evolving uh, thing. So the book is focusing on the people and the ideas. Uh, and a little bit of analysis around what has been and some conjecture over what's gone, what's ahead. Now, you also curate this NYU speaker series on disruptive innovation in the advocacy sector, and, mm-hmm. and the book's coming out next year, so I'm sure you're still in throngs of it. I remember when uh, Paul and I were writing our book on B2B social media, we were you know, furiously interviewing as many people as we could in the B2B sector who were doing interesting things with social, and as I went through that research exercise, uh, which was grueling, I yeah. certainly had my darlings. You know, I came across these. Oh my God, this is amazing! I and and those are the um, uh, those are the uh, case studies in the uh, in the book that are my favorite. So, do you have any sort of favorite case studies at this point? I do uh, have that you're some. Excited about? And you can sort of top line for us. Yeah, I do have some case studies. Uh, I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going to cite them today by name, but I do have case studies. Suffice to say, in advocacy, in business, in politics, and uh, in uh, some uh, 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 the feminist area, uh, um, I think there are some fine examples of people uh, in. Uh, in very local situations as well as global situations that uh, uh, are creating some very uh, good ways to, I don't want to say tame these tools, but certainly build in the sustainability uh, bridges that are required to take people from online action and to keep them engaged over time so that these become um, communities of political action, but with not political in the sense that of, of, of a two-party system, um, but pretty much um, uh, communities of interest uh, that um, will become ever more important to people in the system um, to listen to. That it's not just big money, uh, although that will continue to remain important, but it's also big influence. Uh, And as long as these swarms are effective uh, on one issue and single issue and can build that kind of sustainability, I think they're not going away anytime soon. In fact, I think they're going to be rewriting politics as we know it. And seeing as how you're talking now to a veritable digital swarm, how could we swarm around you and help you with your book? <laughs> you can send. Thank you for asking. You can uh, send any thoughts you have, people that that uh, uh, you think might be good to talk to, or thoughts that you have to uh, Marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A at causeglobal.com, and I'm happy to uh, continue the conversation. Excellent. Well, Marcia, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. 
thanks so much for your interest, and I look forward to hearing from you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at OnTheRecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com.